Hello, and welcome to the Content Minds. My name is Ryan Broderick, and I have not been on the internet in a week and a half. And I feel disoriented, actually. That that makes sense. My name is Luke Bailey, and I have not really left the internet over the entire of the, the Christmas period. Like, various reasons I had to work, but also I just didn't. And, yeah, I kind of wish I had. Oh, okay. Well, hold on. Let's play the theme music, and then you can tell me what I missed. Welcome to the show. This week, we are talking about a Twitter account called Politics for All, Politics for Alley, depending on how you want to pronounce it. It was suspended recently, but it is an interesting, weird little story. But before we get there, as I said in the cold open, Luke, can you tell me a little bit about what I've missed on the internet over the last week and a half? The main thing we need to talk about over the last month is NFTs, which have gone to a level that it is hard to, I don't know, I'm, it, it's quite worrying to me now. I don't know if it's worrying to you as well, but it certainly it does feel like we're getting close to the point where something quite bad is going to happen, but I don't quite see what that bad thing's going to be yet. Yeah, it, it. so everyone is, it's funny, everyone is trying to predict what's going to happen. And obviously, like, everyone's mind is going towards some kind of market crash, which is possible. Uh the crypto market in general isn't really where it is supposed to be at. Bitcoin was supposed to be part of Bitcoin was supposed to be doing like a very big pump right now. Right. And so people were sort of expecting it to jump like $50,000 worth of value. And we'd all, you know, everyone would get rich, but that doesn't seem to be happening, but the NFT market's not really slowing down. It's just like, it's getting bigger in a way that I, I don't know what the endpoint is. Yeah, I think a lot, lot of people are buying NFTs, but I don't think the NFTs are gaining any value, which means there's an awful lot of Bitcoin sort of moving around or, or crypto moving around, but it's not actually going anywhere or building up. And I also genuinely wonder whether the NFT thing might be the thing that ends crypto because it's so transparently stupid. Well, so this this is the weird thing, right? Like at the dream of like ending crypto isn't totally realistic because like if you don't like something to do with a crypto coin you could just make a new one and as long as it's legally allowed to be gambled on i don't really see a, a way for it to end it might become less popular but i don't really see i don't really see that the uk is starting to bring in regulations actually we had an exclusive a couple of days ago that that um yeah the government is actually now looking at it and they may actually do some regulation on cryptos and nft but even leaving that aside, I do think that it is much harder to sell people on crypto when the prime, like if the old version of crypto used to be, you know, the Winklevoss is making billions and lots of people being like, yeah, cool, look how much money I've made. Now it's like, hey, cool, look at my, look at my picture of an ape that for some reason I'm claiming is worth a million dollars. And everyone's kind of looking and going like, I don't know if I want to get involved in this. These people are clearly deluded rather than right. maybe these people are interesting. I mean, the use case that I find interesting and worrying at the same time uh, are like the parties in New York City where the entrance requires a bored ape NFT. Like token gating real life events with NFTs is interesting and scary to me. And I sort of suspect that's where all of this is headed is it, it, it will be less about buying and selling JPEGs and more about using blockchain technology to basically buy and sell really expensive tickets to stuff. Right, but you can also buy really expensive tickets to Soho House or whatever the hell you want to buy tickets to. Right. Like so it becomes kind of a I, I get kind of the idea of it as a membership club and obviously it's 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 for a long time it's functioned more as that than it has an investment platform, certainly for for like a lot of people. It's just that I think that a lot of people are buying into it as an investment platform and I think that it's one of those things where I'm like, sure, you could do that. I don't know why. Yeah. No. So, 
Okay, so one really good take on all of this I read recently uh, was arguing that it's not anything to do with the technology. It's not anything to do with the blockchain. It's literally just that we have a lot of young, new internet users who are desperate to do something new, and they've just latched on to the easiest thing to do something new with. Maybe. I, I can see that. It's kind of like the... Uh, for our age, it would have been like P2P downloading. I mean, honestly, for <laughs> our age, it's like newsletters, which is that like we had a bunch... No, no, I mean, I mean, I mean, if when we were young, it would have been like torrenting stuff. Oh, sure. But I mean, I also like, you know, two years ago, we had an incredible amount of laid off journalists and also an incredible amount of journalists who had a lot of Twitter followers and hated their editors. And then they both, both of those groups gravitated towards the easiest thing which was newsletters. And I think it's the same thing here where it's like we have a lot of people who want to do something new on the internet and it feels like there's no room to grow on YouTube, uh, on Twitter, on Reddit. So they're like, fuck it. I'll just make a new thing. <laughs> Blockchain, That I can do that. That's easy because no one owns – like you don't have to buy anything. Well, you do. You have to buy blockchain stuff. But like you know what I mean? Like you can develop on the blockchain and no one can stop you. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. That's that's true, but you can also develop on the internet, and most of the time, no one can stop you. I don't know. It feels like a very complicated way of. I think the big problem is is if you look at crypto as a thing that is a fun thing to do on the internet or whatever. Uh, yeah, sure, it's probably never going to die, and it's always going to be there. If you look at crypto on the terms of the very pro crypto evangelist that it will one day replace money, I do not think that NFTs help. <laughs> No, 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 no. In fact, like none of this helps. The like, if you are a person who's like, I want to use block, I want to use Bitcoin on Mars. Like all of this NFT stuff is setting you back decades. <laughs> and talking of that, we should talk about the most important NFTs that have been minted yet, uh, which are the fart jar NFTs. So I knew. Okay, this one you may have missed. So I knew about the woman who was jarring her farts and selling the jars of her farts, and then she had a heart attack. Or a heart heart attack scare of some kind, and that was the f which not a which not a single tabloid called a, called a fart attack, which I thought was outrageous. Yeah, that is wild. It it was also the first piece of content I saw after returning from offline, and I was like, oh, okay, this is the vibe for 2022. Uh, but I didn't. So it's fascinating. It's basically every storyline from 2021 wrapped up into something. Because the whole it, it's bigger, it's longer than you think. Okay, so can I tell you the full story? Yeah, yeah, because I didn't know that the NFT thing because. I, I'm a fan of... She's from 90 Day Fiance, right? Yeah. I'm a 90 Day Fiance fan. Or at least I was. Have, have you seen her series? Uh, I think she looked familiar. I, I haven't watched it in a long time. She was the, in one half of the first uh, LGBTQ couple. Yes. She's the scammer girl who went to Australia. That's her. Yeah. And she has like... She, she's kind of like a... It was like heavily implied that she was like a chronic illness grifter who... Right. Was like, yeah, there was like a lot of drama surrounding her, uh, and she was kind of horrible in all the reunions. So I was not a fan of her. Um, okay, so tell me the whole story. Tell me, tell me the whole story. All right, all right. So, linked to her appearance on Ninety Day Fiance, she became an influencer, as you might expect. Uh -huh. That's how all the, they all end up she, making them. No, so, so, so she wait, becomes... she kind of was before. That's how she met the Australian. Yeah, woman. exactly. Like I think that there's a Venn diagram of like. You know, do you, did you go on 90 Day Fiancé to be an influencer, or are you an influencer to get on 90 Day Fiancé? It's not clear, but it's that kind of... Exactly. It's like the grey area. So, she becomes an influencer, she gets off that, she has a little more followers, uh, she turns into an Only, OnlyFans influencer, which is kind of unsurprising. Then, following up that, she uh, goes on to TikTok, becomes a relatively successful kind of the the... The women on TikTok who use TikTok to promote their OnlyFans. Right. OnlyFans has its uh, freak out in what was it mm, six eight months ago, middle of last year. Oh no, no, it was it was it was sooner. It was like August, I think. Right. Okay. Yeah, that was about it. It has its freak out where it says it's going to ban everyone. Uh, she, in response to this, starts up her own OnlyFans thing, which is called Unfiltered. Cool. Uh, but without the e the second the last two e's cool where she does all the kind of usual stuff gets people onto it seems to be doing relatively well like not like crazy well but as one of the many replacements for any fans it did fine from there she then starts selling the usual paraphernalia you might expect <laughs> you know uh -huh. used underwear all that sort of stuff one of the things that she does as a bit of a novelty 
is say that she's going to sell her farts in jars. She then does a TikTok <laughs> about it, uh, which is, it feels very tongue in, tongue in somewhere. Please don't um, say tongue in cheek. Yeah, please don't. I didn't. Please don't. Which, you know, it feels, it feels vaguely sarcastic and quite like. Honestly, it all sounds like a load of hot air to me. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> but it gets the end of this and she says basically that, you know, 97 people have ordered these when she, at the yeah, time of making You know, it not to toot your own horn, but that, <laughs> that's pretty, that's pretty <laughs> impressive. <laughs> it's pretty impressive. Yeah. She then, uh, this is, uh, about, what does it say? This is about six weeks ago that she did this. Okay. So I, and I, I knew very, all of very that. Viral I, and got like, that, there were like seven or eight million views on this TikTok, which for TikTok isn't huge, but for farting in a jar, it's relatively high. You, you know how, um, you know how like, she, the, you know how like there are just stories that you see in the thumbnails of websites that you refuse to investigate? Yes. This was that for me over the last like eight weeks, where I was like, I kept seeing updates about this woman who looked vaguely familiar about her farting. And I was like, I will have to deal with this at some point, but like, I don't want to deal with this yet. So that this is, this is very interesting to have all these pieces filled in for me. Yeah. It's now you're dealing with it now. <laughs> then, uh, about two weeks ago, uh, she starts a new Instagram account, which is fart jars NFT. Oh my God. Uh, which is about this concept of selling these fart jars as NFTs. Then, about three or four days ago, um, it suddenly emerges that she had a heart attack, or a fart attack, you might say, um, (laughs) during this process, at which point she's suddenly on all the news sites, and every single one, every interview is ending with her saying, also have fart jar NFTs, and directing people to her site, fartjarsnft.com. So, I find that the most 2021 story ever. Like it is every single storyline goes into one place. Yeah, this is, but also has fart jokes. This is the future of all culture, in in my opinion. Um, well, I wish her the best, and you know, obviously, everyone's got their own battles. Uh, you know, you you don't know what's going on with everybody, but this woman is suspicious. She was always suspicious in Ninety Day Fiance. I'm not totally sure. I believe her story about having a fart attack, um, unless she was eating some kind of food. To make her fart more, maybe that is what is in the TikTok. In, in the TikTok, she's going through like how she's eating like garbanzo beans and whole boiled eggs and stuff. So, oh, can I say one other thing that makes this into a very interesting kind of approach to this? Yeah, which is that the NFTs are redeemable if you go to her and then, uh, uh basically, if you there are five thousand fart jar NFTs, if you burn them back to her, then you get a real fart jar. If you burn a hundred of them back to get a real fart jar. So this is basically a way to use, she's just switched her model and is now taking Ethereum rather than money. Yeah, no, I did that for a while. So like I opened a crowdfund on a, on a site called Mirror and I minted NFTs with it. And then I just like left it open for like six months saying like, if you want, you can buy an NFT and you'll get all the stuff you would get if you bought a subscription to Garbage Day, but you'll get like a little NFT as well. Um, and it's just a way to collect. Like, I think that like collecting money with crypto. I mean, obviously there are envi- environmental concerns and all the rest of it. But like, if that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. I don't think you have to fart in a jar to accept Ethereum payments. See, this is this is the issue. It's that there isn't a good platform for sex workers that runs on crypto. So it's forcing entrepreneurial young women like this one to fart in a jar. That's that's what we need. Is we need a good. I feel she she has this platform. She could just make her platform accept Ethereum. Well, then she should. I then I, I don't then I don't know what she I don't know why she's eating all the garbanzo beans and giving herself a fart attack if she could just accept Ethereum. Um, you know, it's got a good it's got a good yield on it. It's like, you know, as high as sometimes, you know, I think it went up 600% in the last year like Lady, just accept Ethereum. If you need help, like there's tons of developers out there who will help you set up an Ethereum wallet. It's very easy. You don't have to fart in a yeah. jar. That said, Luke and I will be farting in jars starting next month. Uh, it's, it's actually going to be part of the live show. Yeah, if you want to, <laughs> if you want to buy a, a content cup, uh, we have farted in it, and you can <laughs> buy it with uh, Shiba. We we only accept Shiba, which is my favorite dog coin. Yeah, the other all other dog coins are you know on the way to the floor. Luke, what would you do if someone hacked all your apes? <laughs> this is it. This is the exact problem with it. I don't know how to, to, to talk about this. And you can't talk about it in a serious way because you end up saying, 
what like I have to have news meetings about this stuff, and then every now and again, someone's like, "Yeah, all these people have their apes hacked, and they're really mad." And it's like, "What?" I just like explain this to anyone who doesn't care about crypto is like impossible, and it's putting up such a huge barrier for people getting involved in crypto. I mean, Luke, if I if I was minding my own business when I got an email from a sender that I did not recognize asking me to click on a link <laughs> to learn more about an exciting opportunity in the Web three space only to discover that $1.9 million worth of my ape JPEGs had been hacked. I don't know how I could, I don't know how I could go on. If I was a wealthy art gallery owner who had all my apes stolen. Oh boy. I don't know, man. No, I, 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 I gotta say, like, I think I've talked about this on the show before, but when, when the 4chan radicalization stuff happened in 2015, I thought to myself, oh, okay, like this is my opportunity as a journalist, the stuff that I know best is here now and like this next couple of years are going to be really interesting for me because like I'll have a lot of knowledge that I can share. And it turned out that like that's not what happened. It turned out that like the the media cycle around the Trump administration and the rest of it was kind of like going back in time like 35 years. And it was all about like palace intrigue and like bullshit 80s style like gossip stuff and connections and all the rest of it it wasn't it wasn't as fun as i thought it was yeah the media did not beat beat trump trump became the media he it was it came back to the bit of the media he knows best which is writing on like uh letters in hand yeah. and sending them to journalists he doesn't like it was great it all became like access reporting and like it was just like very boring for me and i thought like oh like this could have been and then the, the internet stuff was really hard to cover because like i don't think the internet is 100% a serious place. And I think that, like, you need to sort of acknowledge that when you're talking about it. So, like, the rise of the very serious meme reporters, like, made my eyes roll quite often. So, I got to tell you, I am very relieved that we are finally now in a moment that I feel like I'm fully equipped to handle. <laughs> because, like, we are dealing with nuclear levels of internet irony. Like, like it is... Yeah, that's what the garbanzo beans are for. Right. I watched a 20-minute CGI pitch video for some sort of crypto island this morning that had a musical number set to a song from Greece, but it was about the blockchain and it involved like a cartoon coin. And I, I don't know if it was satire. I think it wasn't satire, but it was like, this is my moment. I'm ready for this. This is weird as hell. I want to talk to the woman farting in a jar and ask her if she needs help setting up her Ethereum wallet. This is the future that I've <laughs> waited for. But you know who, you know, yeah, that sounds right. you know, who, you know, you know, who, isn't having a good time? Who's not having a good time? The owner of the Politics for Ali account. Politics for Politics for Ali is not having a good time. Let's talk about Politics for Ali. Okay, so, like, what, what are we going to call this politics for Ali or are we going to call it politics for all? It's, it's politics for all. The reason we call it politics for Ali is that when it was initially set up on Twitter, it, it did the trick that many Twitter accounts do because someone had already taken the handle politics for all with a double L and instead made the last one a capital I. So technically it said politics for Ali. So, wait, so it's not because it's run by a guy named Ali? No, it's run by a guy called, a guy called Nick. Um, but yeah, basically the worst people on the internet, every time you said anything about it, they were like, huh, shouldn't you call it politics for Ali? And it's like, come on, guys, this was not, this was not that funny six months ago. Okay. So how would you, so, so it's a British, it's a British newswire account, essentially. And it, and it was a pretty good one, to be honest. I used it. I, I think a lot of journalists used it. Sure. Okay. I mean, I think a lot of people used it without saying they were using it, but like it was a fast news account that like there were some issues, obviously. This week it was suspended by Twitter. Um, was has there been an official reason given why it was suspended from Twitter? Yeah, there has been an official reason. The reason given given was uh, the spam platform manipulation reason. So it was um, for tweet decking, essentially, right? That's the implication. But the problem is, is as I've kind of like I, I tweeted it the other day, but that is a it is a very wide and broad excuse. Like right. a brief 
kind of list of people who have also actually i'm just gonna read out my tweet here which is what, what, what we I should just turn this show into a place where we read out our tweets for the week so that people yeah. know how good they are <laughs> exactly but yeah so the list of kind of like things banned for the same official reason um more than 2,000 pro-China propaganda accounts. Sure, that sounds about right. James O'Keefe was given the same reason when he got banned. Okay. Uh, some accounts supporting the Republican Arizona audit effort. Okay. Uh, and an Irish Times columnist. Weird. And the Irish yeah. Times so columnist one of those... wasn't working for the Chinese government? Uh, that we know of. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so it's kind of one of those reasons that is a very broad reason. Like, I don't really, I don't really know how to look at that and be like, yeah, no, this is clearly a good explanation for this because even if you read the stuff on twitter site it's huge it's like it, it's everything from kind of genuine tweet decking like you say um to you know just posting too many undisclosed ads like in those two kind of two completely different things okay so um, but it's kind of just a general sense of we're not fans of this account so let's start let let's start at the very beginning when did this like this account is part of a network correct well you're actually going to hate the start the, the the beginning of this okay let's so, go yeah it's part of a network there are there are four accounts. There is uh, politics for all. Uh-huh. Sorry, there's politics for all, which is the initial one. Then there was news for all, which focused on kind of more generic news. But they uh, there's some other issues we get onto. There was football for all, uh, and there was crypto for all. Oh yeah, okay, awesome. And they're all run by the same guy, who was what, like a marketer, like a content guy? No. So it was a basically when he started the accounts, it was a guy called Nick Moore. Uh, he was 18 when he started the accounts. He was, uh, I believe, in, in sixth form at the time. Like he was, so he was just like, leaving high school to go to uh, university, which uh-huh. I, believe, I believe he's at now. Um, he started politics for all first, uh, and then the others came along shortly afterwards. But the actual origin story of this is, uh, I'm afraid to say, uh, in, involved in football Twitter. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, everything in the UK it always it always comes back to football at some level. Although I I could also make the same argument that's kind of involved in stand Twitter, but it's basically those communities that are very very strong and no one outside of their community cares about. Them. Right. So if it's you know Arsenal fans or Man City fans or Ariana stands or uh, Five Seconds of Summer stands, like all of those have their own things and they're called like you know it's Ariana Nation News or uh, Gunner Blog or whatever the hell it is, and they all basically do the same thing, which is they have a vast number of uh, Google alerts set up and a vast number of kind of tweet deck columns set up for alerts about anything, any news about Ariana Grande or Arsenal or Five Seconds or whatever the hell it right. is. And then they tweet that with like new, breaking, whatever exciting word they put at the start of it. They've all got their kind of like own little signatures on it. Uh-huh. Uh, and then via X person. Um, this used to really bug sports reporters and still does because basically they do their story, tweet their story out that says, hey, this player is planning to move to this club. And then rather than any of their people following them, they all follow these aggregator accounts, which just say, new, this is happening via and just at the person in. And it's quite annoying because like, you know, you work on the story and then it immediately gets ripped off by someone who cares more about it and is, has a more focused audience, which you don't have because you, you don't work on only that thing. And your goal is not engagement hacking, right. it is reporting things. Okay. And so these accounts started that way. And then they they clearly grew into something larger. Was there a moment where like the rest of the world noticed what was happening? Like, do you know of a, a thing that like broke them out this way? Not totally. I mean, it, like bluntly, it was engagement hacking. That's what they were doing. Uh, they were there were some things which were kind of marginal. Some things were less marginal, but they did it consistently over a relatively long period of time, like less than a year. But it was it was months. Um, the big one is obviously. Uh, COVID, like right. whenever big COVID news came out, they they did that, and that obviously got picked up. Uh, and they grew the account, I think, to about five hundred thousand followers in the end, which from starting from a standing start in less than a year is is quite a lot. It's quite impressive. Yeah, that is impressive. Okay, but the the, the real thing though is is kind of is how they did it because there are a bunch of engagement hacking tricks which you all recognize and I recognize, but not everyone does. Uh, for example, one one that I noticed really specifically early on is that someone wrote a story about drones being used for like tracking people who were going outside too much during COVID or something like that. And when the first, this tabloid wrote the story, uh, they included the note that there was unarmed drones, which like obviously would be unarmed drones, but whatever. This account picked, the policy rule picked up, tweeted it with unarmed drones in it and discovered that loads of people commented on the fact that it said unarmed drones. Because yeah, it's a slightly weird thing to say, like, because it implies they were thinking about making them armed. (laughs) Right, right. As a result... As a result, though, any time there was any story that involved drones, 
this account prefixed the word unarmed to drones. So every time there was a destroyer of drones, even if the outlet never mentioned they were unarmed, though obviously they were, because it was, I don't know, checking litter on the beach or whatever, this account would say, oh, there were unarmed drones checking litter on the beach. And suddenly everyone's like, oh my God, would they be armed? And it was very basic tricks like that that they used to kind of growth hack it and make sure lots of people would see it. That's, that's is, genius, honestly. Yeah, it is, it's like, it's not, it's not stupid. It's cynical as hell, which is why it kind of got into a bit of a weird thing about, you know, how it presents stuff. Because the other half of that was that it had a, a bad habit of rephrasing or reframing people's headlines or like newslines to make them different and then citing them at the person. So if someone said, uh, like some, a, a scientist said something like, um, we may need to be in lockdown for six more months if we don't get enough people vaccinated. They would then take that and just say, this scientist says this person, we need, this scientist says we need to be in lockdown for six more months. Right. Which is obviously not what that scientist said. But because they at that scientist in or at the reporter in, that reporter or that scientist gets a bunch of abuse for something they didn't say. Right, of course. But it, because it was just like a, a kid who was clearly just following the incentive structures of Twitter. Exactly. Like, it's not really, there's not really any, you can't really blame them for doing that. Like, they did what worked and it kept working. And it kept working partly because people like you, <laughs> uh, who, you know, you're not going to follow all that much British news, but you need to follow like one or two accounts, which will give you enough that you need to know. So for you, this makes perfect sense. Well, no, well, no, no, wait. I started following it because, so like, I started following it. So I have a tweet deck open most of the day. And the second column on my tweet deck is an activity column. So it shows me what everyone I follow, what, what, what they're liking. And between yeah. my main feed and my activity feed, the politics for all account in particular was pretty much always there, even though I wasn't following it. So finally, I was just like, I should follow this account because everyone I follow in British media is interacting with this account on a pretty much daily basis. So clearly well, something this, is up here. And in fact, I thought it this, was run by, I thought it was the, um, the spectator index, that account. I thought they were the same thing for a while. You've got you've got two different things confused there. So the spectator index is not attached to the spectator. What? But the guy, they're two different things. No, fuck off. Yeah, they are. Aren't Wait, they? And so, I've said this really confidently, and your surprise is now really through. Wait, hold on. The spectator index isn't like a newswire run by the spectator or something. No, uh, it's run by yeah, it's a something run by some guy in Australia. What? Get out of here. It's yeah. not run by. It's unrelated. To it's not run by like a newspaper. No connection. Dude, what is going on with British Twitter? It doesn't make any like you have a teenager running like your biggest news account. Everyone's following some some newswire service that's named after a magazine that's not affiliated with. Like, what is happening? Yeah, uh, I mean, to be honest, spec it's a really good point actually. The Spectator Index is not is a not dissimilar way of digesting the news to politics rule, but done in a slightly less growth hacky way. I literally thought the Spectator Index was like. The spectator's version of the Bloomberg terminal or something. No, no, no. It's, it's unrelated. But the guy who ran politics for all did pick up some work with the spectator, uh, kind of, I don't know, consulting them on social or doing some bits and pieces for them. But it wasn't, it wasn't a huge amount as far as I know, but it was just kind of like bits and pieces because he has another full time job. Well, not a full time job. He's a full time student. Um, Is he still a student? Yeah, he did stuff. Well, yeah. I mean, this all happened within less, less than the last year. So basically like, the majority, I mean, I follow a lot of British journalists. I'd pro I, I probably estimate I probably follow like 100 to 200 British journalists. And they're all interacting with this teenager's account on a regular basis. Yeah, I mean, it is a really tricky one because, like, broadly speaking, if you wanted to run a really successful news Twitter account, what you'd do is set up a bunch of different... Uh, tweet deck columns and a bunch of couple a couple of filters for like how many engagements how many retweets or whatever you get or you could even actually you could probably use um crowdtangle or something to do it relatively easily and just watch whatever starts speeding off just take it post it and just do it quicker and if you do it quick enough then eventually you build an audience and eventually you are just biting people's stuff right before it starts to go big which yeah like it's not it's not a wild thing to do but it is a like it's a smart thing to do which is simultaneous is like no, it's not good. Like, but I don't know. Nothing that happens on the internet is good. I do think it opens up like a larger, more like a larger, interesting phenomenon with Twitter. So let's let's move to a second segment here. 
So I feel like this is a really good example of that thing that happens a lot on Twitter. It happens in America like almost all the time where like there's just a new account that appears and they do the same thing all the time really fast. And then they just become like enmeshed in the way like news is reported on a national level. So like Aaron Rupar, the like CNN Fox News clip ripper guy, he's like an example of this or like, Remember those two like interchangeable white guys, and then one of them disappeared. Brad ja- Jaffe. Yeah, one of them disappeared after actually someone wrote a story about the two of them. It was like, "Hey, what are you guys doing? Why are you guys doing this?" One of them disappeared, and one of them stuck with. Yeah, them. and then like like Yashar kind of started that way. <sighs> yeah, also had a story written about him and went away. Right, but I think I think basically what this is is this is again perverse incentives of Twitter. Like the 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 problem is and will always be. That if you someone sees a story that everyone's talking about, the instinct is to then kind of like jump on it and talk about it because everyone else is talking about it. So you end up kind of getting looped into this thing, even though you don't have anything original to say or really even that good a joke. You're going to make a joke. You're getting 100 retweets. Great. Fine. And just keep going. And so there's that really messed up incentives that means something like this is is really what it's exploiting isn't so much the Twitter algorithm, but it's exploiting the the like does reasons people are on Twitter, which is engagement. And so it's providing a shortcut to people getting engagement. So if, you know, it says controver- X controversial thing and five people retweet it, quote tweet it in the same way, then the next five do it, the next five do it, the next five, and suddenly it's everyone's doing it. And it's all British journalists. It's just like, why are we doing this? Like, what is, what are we, what is anyone adding to any of this? But by that point, it's suddenly like, it seems to be what everyone's talking about. Yeah, it's really weird how it's still very easy to create this, like, feeling of consensus and this feeling of, like, to to create an artificial feeling that everyone's talking about something. And I guess it must be like even more profound of a feeling in a smaller market like the UK, which is also like, like there are, I would say like less journalists on Twitter. So like it's more concentrated maybe. Yeah. I mean, part of that's always what we've always said about how it's, because it's very geographically, um, geographically unified it also ends up being quite unified online as well um because yeah basically if you're if you're in the u.s like you have the washington journalists and the new york journalists and the la journalists and the chicago journalists in the uk you have basically the london journalists yeah th- and also a couple of people in manchester and that's about it so i saw that uh that our friend steve bartlett from the social chain chimed in on this yeah yeah, you, you've picked up a really fun habit of just to let everyone behind the curtain here. Um, like, Ryan will often send me, like, tweets from British Twitter at, like, half eleven at night, like, ten minutes after I've quote tweeted them. <laughs> it's happened, like, three or four times now. And it's like, dude, just, are you just sending me on my own Twitter feed? I didn't block you. You muted I just, me. No, you, I'm sure. I muted you. Yeah, yeah. Um, you read, you read, you read me as often as I read your newsletter. Exactly, exactly. So I have, I have Steve. So Stephen Bartlett, we've talked about him before. He's kind of like, he's a figure. He's a very, he's a very important man in Luke's life. Uh, Luke has been following his career for quite a while. The, his, his operation, the social chain is, is kind of like the ultimate tweet decking based media setup kind of thing. And then we talked about his, his recent venture in a, a couple episodes ago. Um, and I, I thought his thread about politics for all was really fascinating. Uh, one tweet uh, was, I know the people that operate politics for all. It's led by a 19-year-old politics enthusiast named Nick and a group of 10 19 to 24-year-olds that love politics, which is wild <laughs> to me. Um, up, uh, Steve, uh, Steve Bartlett writes, yes, one of the big media corporations offered Nick a huge seven-figure valuation to buy the page, which is insane to me i am i am sorry but but the two people involved in this page in this story steve bartlett and nick who ran politics for all i'm like i don't believe either one of you like i just straight up don't believe it and i also know like media companies that doesn't make any sense you wouldn't do that i just no so, like i don't i don't believe that it's true well so Stephen bartlett's trying to spin some kind of conspiracy while also saying he's not a conspiracy theorist that it was anyone who says I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but is like, well, sorry, buddy. Well, what's confusing though about his Twitter thread is I can't actually totally get what conspiracy theory he's even hinting at. Is it that Twitter shut down the page 
Because someone was going to buy it? So the imp- no, so the implication is there's actually two conspiracy theories in one. Okay, place. let's get into the juicy stuff. What are the conspiracy theories about this 19 year old's politics page? <laughs> so it, it, it's also with his thread opens the thing and says like, "Hey, Twitter says they banned them because they were retweeting what retweeting one account from one, one another." And it's like that's actually not the explanation. I don't believe that was the only thing that they've got. And if you go to the original page that. Like they've got that from that is the full explanation, which is spam platform manipulation, which is a huge page with like it's like thousands of words of different things you can do to get it wrong. So I think that they have think that that's the case, and they don't actually know. That's my assumption from that, just because I'm sure you've done this as well. When you get that explanation of why something's been banned, you're like, eh, it's not really a good explanation. Every single time, I'm like, I'm like, that doesn't make any sense, and like. You're going to just say something different in like a, a week or two. So why are we even playing? Yes. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. So continue. On, ba- on background, here are terms and conditions that are publicly available. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So yada, yada, yada. Basically, he then says that they, the government were really aware of it and its influence. And it's like, I mean, sure. But it's also a Twitter <laughs> account. I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, sure. The British government's a little, a little topsy-turvy post-Brexit, but I'm not sure they're like, really concerned with what this extremely bland politics newswire was saying. I should also point out it's not a newswire, but a newswire is a real thing that is a paid service that exists and has many, many journalists and many, many fact checkers and is quite expensive to run. And this is just someone lifting stuff. Like, <laughs> Look, I was paying for this. I, I, I was buying a bunch of farts in a jar so that I could get exclusive politics for all tweets. I mean, do you want to know something quite bleak about this? Sure. Um, which is that it did have a Patreon. Uh, and by the end, it was a £63 a month. Um, our Patreon's bigger than that. Yeah, exactly. Which, yeah, it, it does kind of make you think like, oh, wow, there is like people use this, but they don't value it, which I think is really I mean, er, but that's the thing. Everyone, in fact, I even saw subtweets. I, I forget who it was, but someone t- tweeted something the other day where they were like, let's all pretend like we're not all using the same 19-year-old's like news account. Yeah, it was like it was I mean, like a yeah, Guardian reporter like snarking at the idea that like all of British media is basically just like trying to scoop one another off the politics for all account because it was tweeting things faster than like the other accounts. Yeah, but you know it's it's you can do that when you don't have to check them, which was also a problem that it had many times that it would just loudly tweet something and have to delete it five minutes later when it's under it was wrong. But it was anyway. Back to this, you know, the conspiracy theory, right? Um, yeah, obviously the government knew who they were because, like, you know, I'm sure most of the government and many MPs were following it. Fine. Um, but the idea that it had specific influence, given that all it was doing was just posting other people's stuff, I think is kind of ludicrous. Uh, and the idea that it's like, yeah, no, the, the, anyway, that's nonsense. But what it, what he then says is, I believe someone was unhappy with the reach and influence of the channel and had a word with someone at Twitter and asked for it to be removed. What are you fucking talking about? <laughs> Yes. Like Twitter took Twitter took several years to ban Marjorie Taylor Greene. They're not going to like yes. like what are you talking about? Oh my god. Okay, continue. Wait, hang on, it's better. I I also believe Twitter saw them as an easier target and an easier voice to silence because they're a group of young kids and not a big Murdoch corporation. I I don't even know where to begin with that. Like which implies that they want they want to they want to ban the Sun and the Times, but actually they're just going to ban a nineteen year old Twitter account instead. Yeah, why would Twitter want to ban this like a Murdoch paper? Like Twitter, Twitter is a delivery service for for Murdoch at this point. Like yeah. I don't. Okay, all right, sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, and traditional media or or government being able to decide who can who and kind of can't speak is worrying. And it's like, no man. <laughs> Like, where's that come from? Which also is the whole thing is like, there is a real problem, like underlying this whole banning, there is a real problem, which is that yet again, Twitter bans an account or a set of accounts and says, we're not really going to tell you why. Right. We're going to gently imply something, maybe, but there could also be a bunch of reasons. It's worth pointing out also that I mentioned the Patreon earlier because they obviously weren't making money from that. One of the ways they were making money was basically retweeting gambling ads, <laughs> which is how a lot of the football accounts that it's based on make their money which make you know it makes perfect sense they kind of say you know whatever game's happening uh here's the news also follow this person's tips he's the best tipster i've ever worked with you'll make millions so it kind of feeds into that and they use it from it look what it looks like is they use the same uh supplier lead generation guy 
so that's how they were making a lot of their money, or, or with some money. I don't know how they're making, even if they were making that much from it. But oh, that explains why they were just like gambling tweets in my feed more often than usual. Exactly, that's where it was coming from. Um, so yeah, it's one of those things where it's a bit like there are a lot of other there are a lot of reasons it could have been banned. Some more legit than others, but Twitter has to say which one it is. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, gambling ads aren't illegal in the UK to do on Twitter. Um, no, but undeclared ads are. Oh, I see. So if they're just like, if they're retweeting, if they're taking money for retweeting random accounts, which are claiming to endorse sports tipsters, that would probably be against. Well, money, money for retweets is is banned by Twitter. So you can't pay someone to retweet. Oh, okay. Well, then that's most likely what took this account down. Yeah. Probably. Okay. So, but everybody does that. Like I, you know, I pay many garbage day readers to tweet nice things about me so that I can retweet them. And yet they never do. No, they never do. Yeah. I, I offer so much Ethereum and they don't want it. Um, <laughs> so, okay. What, what, if anything, do you think that we've learned from the saga of politics for Ali? Um, I think we've learned that if you want to be one of these aggregator accounts, you need to stay in a quiet place. You need to stay in a dark corner of the internet, uh, in a dark corner of Twitter, rather than attempting to kind of break out of it and be become the most visible account that you can possibly see, which is a bad idea if you're doing stuff that maybe Twitter is not a fan of. True. I also think it's interesting that, like, st- like Steve Bartlett in his Twitter thread uses, like, some terminology that sort of lines up with this sort of this like ethos among very young people on the internet where they just sort of see content as content. And I I find it very interesting because it's, it's a, it's on one hand, like it makes sense. It's like, okay, everything on the internet is a form of content. And if you're going to start a content marketing or a content production agency, you have to think that way. But then when you're applying it to like news, it's also kind of sociopathic if you think about it, because it's like, Oh, like this is just content that we're sharing and creating. It just happens to be about yeah. the news, you know. Like it's yeah, and obviously, like often with news, like it's, you know, sometimes you know, not with every headline, but many of them, we have to had have like had quite carefully legaled. Uh, and there's lots of bits we can say, and we can't say, and why we say, you know, often when you read weird phrases in headlines, it's for legal reasons. Um, and then it's that thing of they get it and they just strip that out, right? And then say. And, but they also, the bit that really annoys me is they then say via this person. It's like, no, 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 we did not say that. Right. We did not say that at all because that version's illegal. And you've just assigned libel to us, which obviously doesn't, isn't a thing, but it's still like, could you, could you not do that? Thanks. Yeah. For, for American listeners for this episode, if you ever wonder why British headlines read so weird, uh, a lot of it has to do with libel laws or other kinds of uh, reporting restrictions, but also it's just because English, English is weird, but. Yeah, the, the the turns of phrases. What was the big one? Can reveal? Is that what you guys use to 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 say that you've you've received information on background? So it's like it's like I can reveal that the Home Office said this. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, but, yeah. Um, I mean, I think can I put a bow on this by going back to some quotes from Steve Bartlett from 2015? I mean, yeah, let's do it because I, I want to tell our listeners. Every episode of The Content Minds this year will be about Steve Bartlett. <laughs> uh, that's yeah. that's what this year is all about. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh, hit you with the old tweets. Two quotes. So, Social Chain, which was a company that he founded in 2015 and has since left slash been removed from. I'm not going to speculate. Um, say, when I talked to him and he was doing basically this exact thing with all of his accounts that were retweeting each other, uh, he said... Um, in the Twitter space, the issue of copying is like breathing. Uh, the thousand people that copy us every day, they gain followers, which is going to help them on some level too. That's very similar to how NFT people talk about NFTs, actually. It's like a trickle-down yeah. economy of content. It's just copying. It's fine. Yeah. Well, no, no. They hate that. They they hate the, the right-click save, but they do think of this idea of like Twitter clout as the trick. The, it's like the trickle-down economics of Twitter clout. Yeah. Exactly. That's going to be the title of this episode, I think. I, I'm just all I'm hoping is that by the time I edit this episode, they don't restore those accounts so that it's still relevant. Uh, so let's let's see let's see if I can because I I, th- I sort of suspect these accounts are coming back. You think these accounts are coming back? I sort of suspect that. Yeah. 
Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. I do think there's a lot of them around, but I also think Twitter will be better equipped to deal with them this year. I, I, I sort of think we'll see them pop back up, but we'll see. Okay. Uh, let's talk about content. And let's talk about the content we consumed to stay sane. Hey, Luke, uh, have you consumed any content to stay sane this week? Um, so I was going to talk about something and now I am not sure if I talked about the last one. Did I talk about Halo last time around? You have not talked about video games on the show for a while. Okay. I'm going to talk about Halo or at least Halo Infinite. Okay. How is it? It's extremely nostalgic in a way I wasn't totally expecting. Um, it came out, I think what, start of December. Uh, it was, you know, I used to play Halo an awful lot. I haven't played it for probably like eight years, nine years or something. Um, but it is an extremely good, uh, uh, what's the way to put it? It is an extremely good replication of the experience of playing Halo when uh, I was a lot younger. In that it has the exact, the guns have the same feel, the alien, the enemies have the same feel, the environments have the same feel. We're just like everything's in much higher, higher res. Interesting. Um, it's also had, has a couple of really weird moments on where, for example, there's a particular weapon called the the battle rifle which is the most common weapon but has a specific trick that you can do when um the particular enemy called jackal or called the jackals has like a weak spot where you can like shoot around and like through a little hole in its shield and entirely like pure like muscle memory instinct i just i did it to someone i was like wow i haven't done that in eight years and he didn't really remember even though that was a thing you could do oh that's i saw nice. it and just like knew to do it and i was like Ah, interesting. Okay. Um, so yeah, it was very fascinating because I go back to a game that you haven't played for so long, but it's been updated in a way that means that it just sort of, it works yeah, correctly still. That's really nice. So, that's good to, I mean, I'm, I'm, was, I'm glad that your body remembers Halo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, how about you? What content have you consumed to stay safe? Well, uh, I mentioned it on the show several weeks ago, but I started reading one of the longest running manga ever, which is called One Piece. It's still running. Uh, but I bought the Shonen Jump app, which is actually an incredible deal. It's like uh, 99 cents a month for unlimited access to like everything, like uh, unlimited access to like the largest publisher in Japan, which is kind of wild. Um, so I started reading One Piece and I didn't really care for it. Uh, and I was really struggling with it. And then I got to like the part where it really kicks into gear. And uh, I read like 150 chapters in one sitting over the break. Okay. Uh, I have 900 to go before I'm up to date with it, and it's still not over. Uh, but it's really good. It's like about it's it's like imagine it's like imagine if Tintin or uh or like Lupin the Third was like extremely leftist. Oh. Sorry, you've you've said those first two things to me, and it's really thrown me because I don't see how those are the same. So, like, imagine like a imagine like a turn of the century adventure story, right? Like Tintin. Got you. Okay, right. That was the bit I was getting because I was like, I'm, I thought I thought Tintin was like a journalist, and no, Lupin Tintin's was a thief, like and okay. Tintin's like a little boat boy. He's like a little sailor boy. So, okay, the the plot of one. Tintin's piece, a journalist. Tintin's not a journalist. What are you talking about? Tintin's a journalist. He has a gun. He doesn't have a gun. Tintin, Are we talking about the same character? Tintin with the little hair swirl. He shoots a gun. He regularly shoots a gun. Yeah, but like, you know, I assume all reporters did in the 1920s. Uh, we, Tintin can't be... Tintin isn't... What is he reporting on? He, you never see him write anything. <laughs> yeah, he's like a reporter from the 1920s. <laughs> Wait, are you... <laughs> fact check this. I, you fact check this. I'm fact checking this. From Tintin's first adventure, he lives the life of a campaigning reporter. He is sent to the Soviet Union, where he writes to editor of Dispatch. He travels to the Belgian Congo, where he engages in photojournalism. When he travels to China, Blue Lotus, the Shanghai News features a front page headline, Tintin's own story. What? Man's, man, the, man's, the man's a reporter. What the fuck? Okay, I'm completely derailed from what I was talking. That's wild. Okay, wait. So the plot of One Piece is basically like a kid wants to become the king of all pirates. 
And as he goes on his journey to become the king of all pirates, he recruits people into his pirate crew. And then slowly it is like, un, un, it's sort of like revealed that like he's having like politically destabilizing effects everywhere he goes. So it's like, he's basically like in conflict with like the world government. And he's kind of like becoming kind of like a revolutionary figure, uh, which is an interesting idea. He also has magic powers because he ate a fruit that makes him stretchy. Cool. Same. Yeah. Pretty cool. It's called the gum gum fruit. Anyways, it's good. Uh, but you know, don't, don't read it unless you want to read a thousand plus chapters and it takes a hundred chapters to get good. But, um, you know what we need to talk about now? What do we need to talk about now? We got to talk about the matrix. We definitely got to talk about the matrix. So Luke and I are going to go over to our other podcast, post post credit scene, which you can find on our Patreon, patreon.com slash the content minds. And we're going to finish our matrix series. We both watched matrix resurrections. Uh, those episodes are unlocked and free to listen to right now, as are our episodes about all of the Spider-Man movies, including Spider-Man, no way home. Uh, next week, Luke and I will have more details for you about like the status of our Patreon, what we're doing with our exclusive content and all the rest of it. But for now, just uh, head over to the Patreon on Friday. You'll see the Matrix episode there. Listen to it. Uh, enjoy what we have to say about it. Um, I, I have so many thoughts about this movie, and I'm very excited to work through them all. Much like Neo in therapy, I need to get them all out, so I'm excited to do this. <laughs> um yeah, All right. cool. Um, if you guys say nice things about us on Twitter, uh, we will we will pay you and we'll retweet it and then we'll get our account banned. Oh, leave a comment, uh, a review. Leave a review on a on a podcast service of your choice, uh, as if, uh, as if uh, as if you had just purchased one of our farts in a jar. <laughs> yes. Like a customer review. Okay. See you guys next week. Thank you. Bye bye. Happy New Year. Bye.